Paul says, if there's tongues that is displayed in a corporate meeting, there needs to be interpretation. Remember that the crowd that gathered there at Pentecost thought the disciples speaking in tongues were drunk. It was a sign to them, but they were kind of like, are these guys crazy? They're drunk. And Peter stood up and said, no, they're not drunk as you suppose, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter gave quite a sermon there in Acts chapter 2. And the result of the preaching of Peter, people got saved. It wasn't because of the tongues that the disciples spoke with. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Last few months, the last about the last year, I, I get a letter about every two months from someone who I, I've never met, never been here as far as I know or as far as I'm concerned, and he sends me a letter. It's about 15 pages long. And I suspect that he also sends it to other pastors and churches, perhaps. I don't know. And he says that I've been up at night and I have this word of the Lord to give to you. And he writes all this judgment and wrath and it just rattles on and on and how corrupt the church is and you better do something about it or judgment's coming to you and damnation was coming. And I reject it as a word from the Lord. I think it's just someone who's mad at the church or at the churches for some reason. I don't know what his trip is. But he who speaks prophecy speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, as Paul says in verse 4. It is the only gift of the Spirit where it edifies the individual believer. But he who prophesies edifies the church, as we continue verse 5. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So by Paul contrasting these two gifts, we see how important it is to the Lord that when we gather together that his people have understanding. Have understanding what is going on and what is being said. His desire is that when we come together to be built up and edified, there's a priority on prophecy so that people can hear, and that can take place in the corporate body, that there is understanding. But I also want to remind you that because of the tone of this chapter, it's easy to think that Paul was very negative on tongues. And we're going to see as we keep a biblical perspective on what is being said here, that he's going to be positive about tongues, and we will see that. So he says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. We will see that Paul valued the gift of tongues, I believe, in his own life. He desired the believers to speak in tongues, addressing God, the the praise, the glory, the beauty, as my spirit worships him, beyond my ability to understand. So Paul wanted the Christians to, to have this blessing. Now, in that, couple things. They hear Paul, he says, that, you know, that he wished that, that he who speaks in tongues, that he prayed that there be interpreted, that the church may receive edification. We do know that tongues edifies the individual. And so that individual may not understand what he's saying, but there's edification to his spirit as he's just praying and worshiping in the spirit. 
But when that interpretation happens, there is some edification that happens to the church. It's like we read a psalm this morning, didn't we? And as I read that to you, the praise of God, the glory of God, giving thanks to God, it edifies us, it builds us up. And so that's what takes place when there's an interpretation. Secondly, I believe that these verses that we just covered, particularly in verse 5, shows us once again the fallacy of those who come along and say, unless you speak in tongues, you're not really saved, or you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I want you to be clear on this, because it was kind of a doctrine that was really heavy in the church years ago, but you still have those in circles who say that you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. And of course, in chapter 12, we saw that Paul said, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. And he would say that the Holy Spirit gives those gifts that he wills to those, you know, according to God's will. So not everybody's going to have the gift of tongues. And so if anybody ever comes along and says, unless you do this, unless you're speaking in tongues or you get baptized or, or whatever it is that you do to be saved, they are on shaky ground. It's not the gospel. Because our salvation comes, listen, by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. It is based on what he did, not what we do. And as we give our hearts to him, we are saved by faith through grace. It's not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, of course. That if anyone comes along and says, unless you do this, or that's manifested in your life, or whatever it might be, you're not really saved. The one thing that saves us, so you, you understand the simplicity of the gospel, and that is my faith and trust believing in what Jesus Christ has done for me and dying for my sins, and I believe he rose from the grave. And that's what brings salvation to you and to me. Now that we are saved, we have the gifts of the Spirit manifesting in our life and being worked out in our lives. Now that I am saved, yes, I, I know that baptism is important, but you see, we need to keep a proper perspective on things. And so you can show people these verses as they come along and say, well, I learned that if I don't speak in tongues, that I'm not saved. And, and so they were discouraged or deceived in that. Show them these verses and clear it up for them. And Paul continues here, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, or prophesying, or by teaching? So in other words, when I come to you today to speak to you this morning, I am speaking to you with understanding. That is, you understand what it is that I am saying. If I stood up here and spoke to you in an unknown tongue, it would be frustrating for you. But as I speak to you the Word of God, as we are learning it, as we are growing in our relationship and walk with God, if I was to, to speak in, in, in tongues, it would not edify you. You would not be growing it would be meaningless sounds. Some of us perhaps have been in the mission field. When I've been in the mission field, like in Thailand or in Africa, when there's a meeting and the believers get together, when the pastor begins to talk in, in that native language, it's frustrating for me not to be able to understand him. So you have to have an interpreter. So Paul says in, in the ministry, he spoke so that all could profit, verse 7, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? 
for you will be speaking into the air. So if I go over to, to Linda's keyboard over here and I begin to play for you, it would be meaningless to you. It would just be meaningless sounds. Now, when Linda gets up to play it, it's a tremendous blessing to us, isn't it? And Paul here says that, that you can blow a trumpet and, and it has to make a certain sound as they prepare for war. That trumpet used in the military gathering of the troops. And so, likewise, if I get up here in a public meeting of believers and speak in tongues to you, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't edify you. You don't know how to respond to it unless I speak in words that you can understand as I bring simple truths to you. Otherwise, it's just like speaking into the air. And so verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Again, this is what you experience perhaps when you go to another country and they don't, you don't speak the language there. You don't understand what's being said. Verse 12, even so, you sense you are zealous for spiritual gifts. Let it be for the edification of the church that you may seek to excel. So Paul again reminds them again that uh, the purpose of the gifts is for the building up of the body of Christ. Therefore, verse 13, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So Paul here suggests that the tongue speaker pray that there be an interpretation to bring edification to the whole church. And then Paul says, if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. That is, I'm communicating to God and, and, and on a spiritual level by bypassing your own understanding, but it is unfruitful. It is edification to my spirit. It frees me up, but you don't understand simply what he's saying unless there's an interpretation. In verse 15, what is the conclusion then? Will I pray with the Spirit, and will I also pray with the understanding? I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So Paul's declaring that there are times in my devotions that I may pray in tongues. I'll, I'll sing in tongues. There are times that I may speak with understanding, and I believe that Paul's use of tongues was pretty much focused on his own devotional life with God. Because later he's going to say, in the church, I'd rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at the giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? So if no one understands my, my blessing of the Lord, if no one understands my thanks to God, they can't say amen with me when we gather together with other believers. I shouldn't just do my own thing and say, well, it blesses me, but I must have also a concern for others as well. And so verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Now notice here that Paul is consistent, isn't he? And his emphasis of tongues being directed to God. Just as we've read in these verses, Paul points out that when we do, with the gift of tongues, that we pray, we praise, we bless, we give thanks. All of these things we do unto the Lord, not unto men. In verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So here, I believe, Paul, he saw a great value in the gift of tongues in his own devotional life. 
before the Lord as he says, I thank God I speak tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, when we gather as believers, his concern was to speak so that others could understand and to be blessed. In verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So the Corinthian believers in their selfish desire to edify themselves, they would do that at the expense of others in the meeting. They were showing themselves to be children. He says, don't be children in that way. Don't be children when it comes to understanding. Now, when, when it comes to malice, when it comes to evil, be babes. Be innocent of evil, the scripture says. But when it comes to understanding, be, mis- be spiritually mature. Don't be like children. And so, verse 21, In the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Paul here is quoting now from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 28. The people of God were not responding to Isaiah's ministry. And they said, who is this guy teaching? So basic. What is it that he's saying? And Isaiah there says that his teaching was line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. In other words, verse by verse. And the people were not listening to Isaiah, so the context of chapter 28 of Isaiah was announcing that judgment was going to come to the people of Israel if they did not receive the words that he spoke and and the other prophets that spoke that as well. And they would come and they would speak that in their language of Hebrew. Now, because you are going to reject that word, that you're going to hear the words of men of other tongues. That is, the Assyrians are going to come down and invade them. And the language that they spoke, the Assyrians, the Israelites, could not understand. So verse 22, Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now, this is kind of a difficult passage sometimes when you initially read it. Paul's saying, in your understanding, be mature. Look what happened to God's people in Isaiah's day, and tongues, therefore, are assigned to those who believe not. That is, to unbelievers. And then he says in the next verse something that seems to kind of contradict that. Now, going back to the book of Acts, and I think this will help us understand what he is saying here, the point that he's making in in verses 22 and 23. He, on the day of Pentecost, there in Acts chapter 2, the tongues that were spoken did serve as a sign for those who were unbelievers. When the disciples in that upper room were speaking in tongues, the crowd gathered, heard the tongues being spoken, and they marveled how the Galileans were speaking in unknown tongues and languages that those Jews from all over the world recognized to be their native language. They marveled as they heard them praising God in tongues. Then Peter would stand up and explain to them what was going on, giving them scriptural basis. And when Peter was finished, the Holy Spirit cut them to the heart, and they believed 3,000 were saved, and the church was born on that day. So tongues ended up being a sign to them. And then Paul says, verse 22, prophecy is for those who believe, that is, It is directed towards the believer to encourage and to strengthen, to comfort, to edify. Now, in the next verse, it seems like Paul kind of reverses himself. 
That is when the church comes together, such as what we're doing this morning. And if all speak in tongues, will not the uninformed or unbelievers say, you're nuts? Uh, this doesn't make sense. What's going on? And I don't believe that he's contradicting himself. Well, what's happening in the church of Corinth, apparently, is that everyone would just kind of stand up and start speaking in tongues. And Paul says, if that unbeliever goes into the church and hears people speaking in tongues in that way, he doesn't understand what's going on. He says, this is, this is crazy. He knows something's going on. It is a sign, but, but it's confusing. And Paul says, if there's tongues that is displayed in a corporate meeting, there needs to be interpretation. Remember that the crowd that gathered there at Pentecost thought the disciples speaking in tongues were drunk. It was a sign to them, but they were kind of like, are these guys crazy? They're drunk. And Peter stood up and said, no, they're not drunk as you suppose, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter gave quite a sermon there in Acts chapter 2. And the result of the preaching of Peter, people got saved. It wasn't because of the tongues that the disciples spoke with. So if the whole church comes together and the whole church is speaking in tongues, the unbeliever will say they're out of their minds. So if there is to be tongues in the church, it is to be governed by the rules that Paul is going to set forth as we will see in verse 27 and following. But first, before we get there, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his hearts are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So the gift of prophecy brings a unique conviction to all, and because there's understanding. And prophecy is God speaking to men. And so drawing them to God, in verse 26, Paul gives us some principles for us now as we gather together for church meetings. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. As we gather together for edification, for the building up of the saints, we see here that Paul's talking about this now. Verse 26, I want us to have an understanding because I've heard a lot of teachings uh, of those who say this is a pattern for the church when we gather. That one has a, a psalm and a teaching, one has a tongue, a revelation, one has an interpretation. But I don't think that Paul here is showing us a pattern for the church. I think that he is indicating a problem that was in the church. He's saying, why is it when you gather that some have a teaching and a revelation and in a tongue? And in other words, everybody wants in on the act. It isn't orderly. So he says, let all things be done for edification. He's going to say at the end of this chapter, let all things be done decently and in order. God is not the author of confusion, he will say in this chapter. So remember that Paul's given correction to them concerning the gathering of believers, the corporate meeting, and he wants there to be order, not confusion. So I personally believe that Paul's not given a pattern for the church necessarily, but pointing out a problem in the church. So verse 27, he continues giving those guidelines. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So tongues are to be carefully restricted, regulated, two or three at the most, each in turn. There must be an interpretation. If not, then you are to keep silent. 
And remember, if someone gives a tongue and then somebody pops up and says, Thus saith the Lord, hearken to my voice, that is not a proper interpretation of the gift of tongues. Why? Because you already know. You've studied this. We've studied it this morning. Tongues is man speaking to God. And that is a common mistake in some churches and, and particularly perhaps in maybe some Pentecostal churches. Either they're the practice of everybody just speaking in tongues, which isn't within the biblical guidelines given to us here in 1 Corinthians 14, or there's an interpretation given seemingly to where the people are addressed and it's prophecy that is given. But it's not a correct interpretation of the tongue because it will be in the form of praise, right? Adulation, worship to God. Thirdly, you can't say, well, I couldn't help it. That's why I just stood up in the middle of service to speak in tongues. It was beyond my control. Paul declares that you do have control over it. He says that if there's no interpreter, you feel this urge, this anointing, you speak to yourself, speak to God. And even as tongues are to be regulated in the meeting of the church, so is prophecy as well as we continue with these guidelines. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the what? Author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. So a person gets up and prophesies. It is to be regulated, not just buy into it. It is to be judged by the leadership. Is it really the Lord speaking? And a lot of people have gotten themselves into trouble because they don't judge supposed prophecy. Paul says prophecy is so that we may learn and be encouraged. Now again, I want to remind you that any prophecy given cannot contradict what the Word of God says, will not contradict what the heart and mind of the Lord is. John would say in his epistle, 1 John, that don't believe every spirit. You are to test the spirits where they are of God because there are false prophets that have gone out into the world. I have seen movements in the church where so-called super prophets and apostles, I've heard of them. People have come to me and told me about it. It was a big thing about 15 years ago, this movement, and there's still some of that that goes on. People going around prophesying and giving these revelations and people are listening to them and and it was getting to where just about anything went. And I've talked to many of people who were caught up in that movement and these prophets or so-called prophets with their notebooks even. Hey, you who play an instrument, you're going to be a superstar musician. And, and you who started a business, you're going to, you're going to become rich. And, and you who are single, you're going to find a spouse within a few months and... And so they thought, well, you know, I guess it's going to happen. This prophet, so-called prophet, is giving me this prophecy, this revelation. And then when it didn't happen, they thought that God went back on his promises. And the people got discouraged and depressed and confused. It was almost to a point in some churches, it was almost like a dial of prophet style of Christian life. Rather than studying the word of God and understanding the heart and mind of the Lord. And we are being told in this section of 1 Corinthians that prophecy will be true and edifying, not contradict or bring confusion. It will not bring confusion. 
It is to be judged. And we are to be discerning. And as Paul would say that at the end of the chapter, do all things decently and in order. And that's what my prayer is as we gather here, that there isn't confusion, that, that there isn't that which contradicts. And, and there have been those who have said, you know, I have the gift of prophecy and I should be able to come up and kind of push you aside anytime during the service and give that word to the church. I should be the church prophet. It's like you can be the church prophet, just not of this church, okay? Because if the Word of God is being expounded and the gift of teaching is going forth, why would the Holy Spirit interrupt Himself with something like that, disorderly and bringing confusion to the people? You see what I mean? So Paul here, giving us a clear understanding of the use of the gifts of the Spirit, he says, pursue love, first of all. It's the superiority of love, loving one another, loving God. Desire the gifts. They're important in your life. But as we gather as believers, that edification, exhortation, that there is understanding that has taken place so that all may be edified and built up. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970 970- Three three zero one seven one seven. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.